It's a new year filled with new unknowns. We're coming off yet another season of uncertainty. A year, if we're honest, filled lots of us with fear. We've allowed our eyes to drift and wander. So God, as we head into this year, fill our eyes with wonder. May we focus on the things that you care about, not on our shoelaces. Remind us of Hebrews 13, 6. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So with Jesus interceding for us, what can come against us? When his joy comes new every morning, what is left for sadness to claim? If nothing can separate us from your love, then what room does hatred have to take hold? When you make known to us the path of life, how can we ever lose our way? If you uphold us with your righteous right hand, how can we be afraid of falling? God, we commit to lay our plans at your feet once again, for you know the plans you have for us. So as we go into this new year, we will focus on you, God, because what can man or our careers, our schools, our families, our thoughts, our doubts, our fears, our insecurities, what can any of these things do to us? Nothing, because our trust, our faith, and our hope are in you, God. And I turn myself off. There we go. We need reminded of that often. For those of you who are new, maybe you're new online, my name is Pastor David Anderson. I'm the lead pastor here, and if you're in the room and, and you're new here, uh, meet me out at the information counter. I would love to uh, give you a, a gift that we have here at North Hills, put a face to a name, that sort of thing, get to know you a little bit. So we're in a series called Hope is Here, and hope uh, in the biblical sense is not wishful thinking. It's not like, I hope it'll rain, or I hope that dad gets home in time for supper. Hope, the hope of a Christ follower, is a full assurance of hope. It's a confident expectation of things to come. It is an anchor that we cling to. And we are able to stand strong against the pressures, against the, the poor circumstances of our lives that we experience every day because of this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We are able to fight and win the battles that the enemy wants to uh, consistently fight against us because of the hope that we have. It is a confident steadfastness. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Jesus Christ, who was and always will be, who created and sustains all things, who came as a man born of the Virgin Mary, Emmanuel, God with us, lived a perfect life, was crucified, rose again, and then showed himself to hundreds and hundreds of people after he was raised from the dead. He set the disciples 
off on a mission and then he ascended into heaven and to this day is standing next to the throne of the Lord, our Savior, our Rescuer. So when we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible tells us that we will be saved. We receive the foundation, the solid, objective truth that is hope. John said in, verse, in, in 1 John 5.13, he said this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That is a sure thing. That is the hope that we believe in. Now, one of the byproducts of that hope is joy. Joy is, according to the dictionary, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. The day I surrendered my life to my wife on this stage brought me great joy. It brought great happiness to my life. The day that my children were born brought me great joy and happiness in my life. Seeing them succeed and, and serve the Lord in their jobs and lives gives me, gives me great joy. My memories of my dad and my mom who they were, the things that they did for me. Now that they're gone and I look back and I remember those things, as I remember those things, it brings me great joy. For being, being given the privilege to be their child, uh, for being the last one by 10 years so that they could spoil me every day. As I remember how much they loved me and how much they supported me, it brings me great joy. Oh yes, I still miss them. And I do still shed a tear of sadness. But most of the tears I shed for my parents now, this day, are, are tears of joy. Um, because it brings me great joy. What brings joy into your life? Think about it. Uh, joy is mostly a feeling. It, it, is, it is something that we experience. It is a, a byproduct of, of not just the blessings that God gives us, but joy is is one of the effects that we get to experience from our incredible, restored relationship with the Creator of the universe. With Jesus Christ, our perfect and all-powerful Savior. Contentment in our life also brings joy. Uh, contentment removes anxiety and, and fear and doubt from circumstances that we find ourselves in and, and brings joy. The lack of anxiety and doubt and trouble bring joy. So joy is something that we all long for, isn't it? Um, who doesn't want to have joy? Who doesn't want happy? And oftentimes, especially in the last couple years, it has seemed elusive. It, it has seemed like it's difficult to grab onto it because, because there are so many storms raging out there that, that our eyes go from our God to those storms and, and it removes the space in our life for that joy to exist. But shouldn't a Christian experience joy in their life? I mean, joy is listed in the fruit of the Spirit. It is something that God gives us through the Holy Spirit 
in our life. And, and if joy is produced by God's work in us, then it must be a part of God's will that we experience it. So then, why is my life devoid of joy? Why, why is my daily life so full of negativity and struggle and pain? And I hope to answer that question this morning. A week ago, I got a phone call at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. It was a young lady who had just driven into the back of somebody with her car. Um, it was at a stop sign, leaving a parking lot that was bumper-to-bumper traffic, and uh, airbags didn't deploy. Uh, there was no question as to whether this young lady was fine or not. You look at her car, and you think, holy smokes. So, um, needless to say, uh, a Honda Fit is not made to match up with a Dodge pickup with a receiver hitch in it. Um, and, and so through some other circumstances and some wisdom from other folks that God had provided this young lady, uh, she was able to just call AAA, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so this, this, this kicks the ball rolling, and, and we've all had some sort of ball like this in our life, something that, that you weren't expecting, something that really you're incapable of dealing with to a point happens in your life. She, she only car she has. She works 13 miles away from her home. All of her friends are in the same, same sort of place that she is. They all have one car. N- nobody, you know, what, so what's she to do? A, a rental car in the town that she lives in was going to be $450 a week. Well, that's not possible. And so um, to her own um, admission, there became this sense of being overwhelmed, this sense of, of why me, why this, why now, and, and, and you could get the sense that this woe is me feeling is beginning to set in. Now, we've all been there. You might be there this morning. And the, and the question is, how in the world do we find joy in that situation? How in the world can we be happy in that circumstance? And, and though I'm not diminishing the pain and the struggle of all the circumstances that we find ourselves in, it is possible for us to continue to be in those circumstances yet still experience a level of joy and happiness. And, and I hope that we see that here today. Um, I will fill you in on a few more details of this little situation as we go through the, the message. Um, if you would please turn to Psalm 30. Turn to the 30th Psalm. That's our text, our main text this morning. This is a Psalm of David like many of them are, but not all. And it's in this psalm that we read the words that are the title of the message this morning. But rejoicing comes in the morning. What does that even mean? You know, you go to bed with all these troubles and the next morning it's like, ah! They're all gone, right? No, that's not the way our lives operate. 
So what does that mean? We will see in a few moments. Let's, uh, let's, let, let me read Psalm 30. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Oh Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. The New King James translation translates verse 5 this way. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There are three main themes in this psalm this morning that David covers. Um, those are worship, struggle, and hope. Worship. Think, uh, look at these words in that psalm. I will exalt. Praise his holy name. Um, uh, let's see. I, I will give you thanks forever. Several times in this psalm, David worships God. David is honest about his struggle like he always is with God. He always tells God exactly how he's feeling, what he's thinking, what he's experiencing. We need to be honest with God too. Um, words like depth, the grave, the pit, my wailing all speak to this pain that David is experiencing. And then hope. He says words like, you brought me up, you favored me, I felt secure. So first this morning, let's look at sources of pain and struggle, number one in your notes. Sources of pain and struggle. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Trouble comes from the world. Trouble, um, trouble comes from the fact that our world is broken. People are broken. Our planet is broken. So many situations around us have brokenness in them, don't they? We would be lying if we said some part of our own life was not broken. And, and the, the origin for that brokenness is what? It's sin. The fall of mankind, disobedience to God, distrust, wondering if maybe he was holding out on them in the Garden of Eden, wondering if maybe there was something they were missing because they had this voice whispering in their heads. Are you sure you can trust God? 
Are you sure he's not holding something out on you? And that's exactly what it was today. It's exactly today what it was then. It's a lie from the pit of hell. That you can't trust God, that you can't trust his word is a lie because you can't. It is a solid anchor. One that we must anchor our lives to. You see, sin... Sin is, is poor decisions. It's lack of integrity or honesty. It brings violence and greed and, and cheating into our lives. Sin. And God does not, God cannot take sin lightly. He doesn't just say, well, I'm not going to uphold that law. I'm not going to uphold that command. I'm just going to sweep it under the rug. That is not how God operates. We can trust him for that. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The consequence of our sin, your sin, my sin, is death. But, but praise be to God, Jesus came, died and rose again, and conquered that consequence for that death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, he... he pours out his blood over the top of us, and God sees through the perfection of Jesus' blood into our life and forgives us, has mercy on us. The fall of mankind, and not only mankind, but a large number of his angels, has affected everything in the heavens and the created world. Darkness and despair are a part of our world now. Anxiety and fear are a part of our world now. Doubt and mistrust, brokenness and pain. Just like that car, things are broken. And they're broken because of our own personal sin. The decisions that we make that don't honor God... Uh, the decisions of others around us also affect us. Both brokenness, both of those things, our own bad decisions and other people's bad decisions, suck the joy and happiness right out of life. At the root of sin is our selfishness, us focusing on ourselves, doing everything and thinking about everything in relation to me. It's, we live in a very me world. It's all about me. Watch a commercial. It is trying to encourage that truth. Because if they can get you to think enough about you and the fact that you want that thing, at the root of, of sin is our selfishness. And, and when I am in that mindset, the me, me, me mindset, my eyes gaze is far away from God. It's on me. I am silent. Uh, my, my worship is weak and non-existent, and despair begins to take a hold of my life because I begin to focus on the circumstance. Heartaches, disappointments, betrayals can leave us feeling shattered and, me, and we may wonder if hope is even possible again. Yes, sin is a source of pain and struggle. Our sin then brings on the discipline of God. Okay, that's the second bullet point. And in reality, thankfully it does. 
Because you see, God's discipline is good. It's always correct. Uh, Something that I like to often say and sometimes out loud at a basketball game is that call by that referee was the correct call. Okay, whether it was good for my team or not, I need to admit that it was correct. Yes, my player traveled. Yes, their player traveled. And I practiced that. I was just telling somebody the other night. I practiced that at every game. Because if I don't, then I start only seeing the things that are against my team, not the things that are, that are uh, unjust for the other team. And then my voice comes up and I start saying things out loud that aren't honoring to God or the people around me. But, but if, if I willingly admit that they're also making mistakes against the other team, it, it helps me be real about what's going on. Because those referees aren't perfect. They don't see everything. The good thing is our God does. He will never judge improperly. He will never judge too harshly. It will always be just right. It may feel too harsh to me, but, but, but from God, it will be just what I need. You see, God disciplines us because he loves us. Um, this is, uh, if, if you look at, wow, where am I? Okay. Uh, look up here at Hebrews 12, 7, and 8. The, the preacher says this, that we are to endure hardship as discipline. Okay, now this, this hardship isn't just because of sin, though some of it is. Okay, There are natural consequences to our sin, and that brings hardship and struggle. But there are other things that happen in our life, like the loss of the use of an automobile, not necessarily caused by sin. Um, I don't think inattention is a sin. Um, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons or daughters. We are disciplined by God because we are his. And whether we want to admit it or not, it is good for us to be disciplined by God. He disciplines us because he loves us, because he cares, because we are his children. Another word I think we could use for discipline is training. Because when you think about working out or dieting, whatever it is, those things that are good for your health, um, you talk about it's good to be disciplined as we're doing those things. It's good to to hold the line with that. Training. God disciplines us. He trains us. It's good. Now, thinking on the hardships and the struggles in life and even discipline would all be very depressing and discouraging if, if we had no hope in the face of those things. But we do have hope in the face of those things. And we must hold on to that hope. Uh, We are reminded in Psalm 30 that the sorrows we face in this life are temporary. More than once as I sit down with a good friend of mine when I'm in the midst of a 
uh, an incredible, hard, difficult life thing that, that, that has happened in many times in the course of my years on this earth. A phrase that he has said before, and sometimes it doesn't feel good when he says it, but um, he says, this too will soon pass. You need to see the light at the end of this because this isn't going to be forever. And what happens, what Satan does to us, what, what, what he does to us is he tries to convince us that in this moment today, it's just extrapolate it for the rest of your life because that's the way it's going to be. And that's not true. It's hard in this moment, but we need to hold on to that hope that the sun's going to come up. Because it will. Think of the, some of the most difficult things you've ever experienced in your life. Are you still experiencing them today? Have they, or have they passed? Or, or are you beyond them? And I'm not saying they don't still affect you somehow, but, but, but you, you experience joy in your life today. But in that moment, as you look back at that thing, you're like, man, I don't, you know, it was so, it was such a deep hole and it was so dark. It's true. Life has twists and turns and ups and downs, and although we may suffer through dark nights, morning will come. So God reminds us that joy comes in the morning. Dark nights can last, they can last a long time, but they are never, ever permanent. Ever. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Verses 11 and 12. Look at those. Uh, Shed more light on this idea. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. What a place to be, right? Wailing has turned into dancing. Joy. He clothed me with joy so that my heart may sing and not be silent. So what, so what do we do? Um, if you are in a desperate seri- situation right now, what do you do? What should you do? Well, we do what David did so often. Weird as it may seem and as counterintuitive as it may feel, we are to sing and worship and praise God for who he is. For who he has always been. He still is in the moment and the circumstance that we're in. And he will still be one day when we're either past that one and in another one or we're in between. It didn't matter uh, every, every song, I mean, it didn't matter what the subject was, pain, loss, lament, praise, thankfulness, cursing, glory. If You cannot find a psalm that David wrote that doesn't have somewhere in there but praise be to God. Sometimes it's him reminding himself out loud that I need to worship God. I need to refocus my life. Because God never changes. 
Our circumstances do not change his greatness and steadfastness. He is always our anchor. Psalm 63, 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 103, or 104, verse 33, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation, verse 34, which I didn't put up, be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Psalm 146.2, I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. So what are we to do then? What do we do when we are in the midst of hardship and struggle? How do we survive? Two things this morning that I want to point out. The first thing is we got to surrender. You got to surrender. You've got to give it up. David leads us in in this, all throughout the Psalms, surrender, give in to God, surrender your sin, confess it. When the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and reveals your sin, don't ignore it, don't get comfortable with it, get on your knees and repent of it, confess it. Stop doing whatever it is you are doing that is opposed to the will of God that's causing you to to take your eyes off of him because it's uncomfortable when I look at him because of what's going on in my life. But I want to keep doing what I'm doing. So if I just look away from him, it'll be okay. No, it won't. Maybe, Maybe it's not sin in your life in this moment. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe as you look at the past week, you've been kind of whiny. You've complained a lot. You've been pretty negative. Maybe, maybe you need to confess your state of entitlement. See, we complain because we expect something different. We feel like we're entitled to that thing, whatever it might be. Quick service at McDonald's, that didn't happen yesterday morning. Um, and when, 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 they, when, I, when I pulled up and there's like eight cars in there, and I had this thought, I got 15 minutes. Is there time? Maybe I should just leave. I fought it off and said, nope, I'm going to do this. After I ordered and she said, pay at the second window, I thought, oh boy, they're short help this morning. Um, and then when she said, can you please pull around? Okay. So I'm sitting there on the other side going, it's just out of your hands. There's nothing you can do at this point. You could drive away and let them keep your $15, or you can just wait. Because trust me, just remember, seriously, they're doing the best that they can right now. I was five minutes to the late. late It wasn't a big deal. But I could have whined and complained and made it a big deal. And then when I ate my breakfast, I look in the bottom of the bag, and there's like cards for two free sandwiches in there. They felt bad that I had to wait so long. I I didn't deserve that. It was a gift from them. It's like, oh, cool. You know, um, we need to be careful. We need to surrender stuff like that. To God, surrender our life to him. Let him direct us down the right path, because he will. 
We just need to surrender and, and intentionally look and wait for him. Um, we need to lay our circumstances at the feet of Jesus. Basically, we need to be honest and say, Jesus, look, I'm in a pickle here. I don't know what to do. Um, it, it's because of my decisions, I know, and I, and I feel your correction. I feel you directed, directing me, but I need help. Forgive me, what do I do now? I don't have a car, what do you want me to do? What, whatever it is, he cares about all of it. I miss my mom and dad. My sin has caused such and such. Won't you help me? Yes, he will. Won't you bring me up from the grave? Won't you pull me out of the pit? Won't you turn from your anger? I know it's only for a short time, but in this moment, it feels like it's going to be a lifetime. God, help me. And he will. That's the, right, that's the place we need to be. We need to surrender. God, help me remember that your anger lasts only a moment, but your favor will last a lifetime and beyond. That weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Oh God, in this moment, even though it's hard, I worship you. You are a good, good father. Which brings us to the second bullet point, and that's worship. God hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. He is still the solid rock. He is still our anchor. He is still the object that makes our hope objective. That makes our hope a sure thing. He deserves our praise. He loves you. He has forgiven you. He pours his mercy and grace out upon us. Even in our hardships and struggles, we can thank him and be grateful for him. Worship him. Thank him for what you do have and thank him in advance for what he is going to do because he has promised you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Hang in there. Hold on to him. Because he is going to do something. He will. Forgive, strengthen, satisfy you, provide, show himself to you. He will use others to do that. Worship can happen any place at any time. <laughs> Somebody asked me how I was doing the other day. I said, man, I'm just, I'm just sitting here in the center of God's glory. And they just like went, what are you talking about? Remember that sermon from a couple weeks ago? It's good. I pray that it leads to a conversation one day. Now, those things that we face on a daily basis, they won't last forever. Um, they Think of these things. Um, we just need to fix our eyes on Jesus and the kingdom of God and his greatness before us. And as his greatness is before us, all of those things that we face on a daily basis, those things, those hard things that won't last forever, um, they get smaller and smaller in, in their effect on us. Because we recognize just that. 
One time, and I will use her name, my wife backed my car out of a driveway into a trash can and broke the taillight. This was early on. We first got married. She was scared to death to tell me because of past experience with men and broken things. She told me, I looked at it. I got on the phone. I called a, a, I mean, this is me. Well, what do we do now? Well, there ain't no use complaining about it now. It's already happened. Let's fix it. That's the next step. A new one. <laughs> no way. This was 20 years ago. Found one at a junkyard, fixed it, and on down the road we went. Right? My son tries to get something out of a tree with a rock. Same car. <laughs> Boosh! Hits the back window. Blasts it to smithereens. He runs to the neighbors. Of course, the kids that were with him thought he was running away. He wasn't. He thought I was over there. He was going to tell me. What did we do? We laughed at the new one. We got a used one and put it in and we went on down the road. Every mission trip we ever went on. Every mission trip. It didn't matter how well Rick Teeters maintained the buses. Something broke down somewhere in the middle of nowhere or in another state. Why? It wouldn't be a mission trip without it. There's a reason for that. Why? So those kids could see how the leaders reacted in the face of trouble. God provided miracles every time. And what did we do? Well, what do we do now? How are we going to fix it? What's God going to do? How is he going to show up? And he always, always did. It's no different than your life and mine. The problems that you have, the problems that I have, the struggles that we have, we can thank him in advance because he's going to do something. Because he is good. Those things, that, those things that happen, they won't last forever. They don't create anxiety. They create opportunity for God to work. Opportunity for us to see him work. Sources of pain and struggle are sin and God's discipline. Then we respond and we, we react with, with surrender and, and worship. And finally, I want to give us four results that come from hardship and struggle in our lives. Because even when our struggles are because of our own personal sin, they are never devoid of benefit. Ever. God will always leverage things in your life for good. But we got to let him. Results of hardship. The first one is this, continued hope. Instead of hopelessness, we have his promise that, that he will make all things work for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Hold on to that. That's Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Only God can take the very bad and transform it into something good. And that's exactly what he does. That total car moment, how can anything good come from that? But more money and now personal insurance for this person and, and a tighter budget and holy smokes, am I, am I doing something that I can even afford to live at? I mean, that's been a question for a long time for this young lady. Well, she had a friend 
One of her friends that goes, I don't, I think she just goes to the same church that he, that um, that she's. Um, and he only had one car, but he was. He said, I, "I'll loan you. I can loan you my car." Uh, he said, "I can use my bike most of the time. I may need it one day, um, but we can work that out." And so he loaned her this car for a week. Um, she, of course, felt bad, right, for putting him at a disadvantage, because she should be able to support herself. Do you ever feel that way? Well, you shouldn't really. You shouldn't really give me that, or you should, shouldn't really do that for me. Okay, see, what happens when we do that? We take away a mission that God has given somebody else to do in our life when we need help. When somebody offers help, more times than not, we need to accept that help because God is not only using it in your life to humble you and and grow you, but he's using it in that other person's life to show them how his generosity to them has created the availability for them to be generous to somebody else. So she was thanking him. So we, we actually have a relative that lives within an hour and a half of... Oops. I knew that was going to happen. I did get permission for this, by the way. I said I wouldn't use her name. Most of you don't know, so that's okay. I'm still in the clear. Anyway, she had a relative who lived within an hour and a half and contacted this relative, and, and they said... Yes, in fact, we do have an extra car. We would love to let you use it. Do you want us to bring it to you? Now, she went and got it. But now, because of the generosity of a relative, the pressure is off for, i got to find one now. So she was thanking this friend who had loaned her the car. This is the message that she got um, from this friend. He said, it's such an answered prayer for me, too, to be able to loan you my car. I got in my accident and they totaled it back in July. As you know, I tried to make do with just my bike as long as possible and made it to almost October, which I think is amazing. So when I finally got the car I now have, which was or is such a blessing, I prayed to the Lord that it would spend more time in the hands of others than it ever would in mine. I don't need a car, but sometimes it's necessary. So thank you for being a part of that answered prayer and allowing me to be the hands, feet, wheels of Jesus. Right? Amen? Amen. This is somebody who's a millennial, by the way. Just want to point that out. To which, to which this young lady replied, what a sweet, sweet testament to the Lord. <clears throat> I love to hear how he has provided for you and consequently provided for me through you. Thank you for being faithful to use and share the resources given to you for his glory. What an amazing and gracious and loving father we have. Which takes us then to the second point, and that is growth. You see, we grow when other people are faithful to the Lord and help us. And and we help them grow when we're faithful to him and we help them. It's amazing how God works all this stuff out, isn't it? I mean, Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort comfort me. Your rod and your staff, your discipline and your care. David understood the growth 
as a result of hardship. He was anointed king as a teenager, but spent many, many years before he actually took that post running for his life from the present king. God, what are you doing? You anointed me king. Put me there. But he had to wait. He wasn't ready yet. But those years weren't wasted. Hard as they were, it was during those years that David wrote many of the Psalms that encourage us today because of the hardships that he was experiencing then. He learned patience, I am sure. The Apostle Paul heard the prison door slam behind him, and for two long years he sat in a jail cell for preaching the gospel. Those years may have seemed wasted, yet it was during his imprisonment that he wrote at least four of the books that we have in our Bibles today. You may be thinking that your time in a dark place is wasted time, that you just, please get me out of this. I want out. But what are the things that the things that I tried to point out to this young lady through the process of this whole car thing is that there are lessons to be learned here. Good things. Things that will bring joy to others one day. Things that will bring joy to you. Even though you're driving a borrowed car. Look, you just need to put up with the pain until you come out the other side, Satan wants you to believe. You know what? No. There are things that we can learn in the dark valley. God allows pain and struggle in our lives to refine us like gold, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, it's a time thing again, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus was God in the flesh, yet he, he suffered terribly while on earth so that we would know he understands our pain. The preacher reminds us of this in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could, have, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And as we experience these things, our hope grows, we grow, and our faith is deepened. Deepened faith. Greater trust. You know, when, when somebody says they'll do something for you and they do it, you're more apt to trust them in the future, right? That's what happens in our relationship with God. He will always bear forth as trustworthy. Always. Our faith in God gets stronger. Doubts smaller. Reaction to our circumstances become less. Less woe is me and more okay God. Let's see what you're going to do in the midst of this. And maybe even currently I ain't seeing it, but I believe your word. Believe your promises. I'm going to stand on those. And then the final thing is this. Joy. Why? Because joy comes in the morning. As bad as it was in that moment, 
for the joy set before him, Hebrews says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are told to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus models for us what it means that joy comes in the morning. Oh Lord, Psalm, let's look at once again Psalm Psalm 30 verse 5. For his anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Now, there was a commentator that I read was like, that was a bit of arrogance on David's part to think that. In, in regards to his life, O Lord, verse 7, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction and my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord. Be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. My prayer is that that will be our attitude as we live our life this week. That if you're in the midst of hard trial, trust him. Lean on him. Don't try not to look at the waves. Try not to look at the storms. Focus on him. Trust him. And he will strengthen you in the midst of that. If you're in between, if you're like full of joy, I mean, I'm finding myself there right now. It's, I've said it before, it's hard to preach in the Psalms. It's hard to preach on a topic and think about it over and over and over again. And then have, seriously, if, if I wasn't hopping mad after sitting in line at McDonald's for 25 minutes, something, God is doing something. In my life. And, and it's, it's, because, it's because I've been focusing on the hope that I have in this secure thing. And, and I don't care what you throw at me at the moment. I pray I'm not inviting challenge. I'm joyful in circumstances. And we can be too. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for... Thank you for the fact that that all of those who needed to hear what what you gave us this morning at this point have heard it. You wanted all of us today, online and in this room, to hear what you spoke to our hearts this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would not let Satan remove that before we get out the doors, before we have a chance to go to work, before we have a chance to have interactions with our family. God, I pray, help us to keep our eyes on you and help us to respond to things that happen in our life, not with entitlement, not with whining and complaining, but with, God, what are you going to do here? Help me to trust you in this. God, forgive me for the wrong that I've done. I confess. Or maybe it's, God, I, I believe in you for the first time today. I, I've, I've not surrendered my life to you before, ever before, but today, in hearing your word and 
how good you are and how we can have our hope in you and stand on the promises. I believe. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you are the Messiah and that God raised you from the dead. And now, Father, in these closing songs, we want to worship you. I pray that our our meeting and the meal would be honoring to you as well. May you go with all of us as we leave here today and may we keep our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.